Good evening, everyone. This is the last time I'll see this tableau. Beautiful. As I was getting ready to come here, I was looking through some of my files and I found the notes that I used for a monologue that I was performing a couple years ago. And uh, I thought I'd bring it along and it turns out that it's very much on topic, on the theme of this <laughs> retreat, which seems to have been uh, our nature as nature and how um, we fit into the scheme of things. And that's what this is about. So here we go. And I always like to begin by reminding people that we are all riding on this little rock that is hurling through space, revolving around on its axis at up to a thousand miles an hour, traveling in its orbit around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. And you don't even have to hold on because the earth is holding on to you. <coughs> but can you feel that space wind on your face? Okay. <laughs> There's an Ojibwe saying, sometimes I go around pitying myself when all the while I'm being carried on great winds across the sky. But what are we doing here? Existentially speaking, where did we come from? Where are we going? Why? Why is there a me? Why is there a universe? These eternal questions keep coming up. Ever since we humans grew these big brains, we've been asking these questions. And to answer them, we've come up with some wild stories about gods and devils and heavens and hells. And humans have become so arrogant over the centuries. We believe the entire show was made just for us. Our major religions have come to regard the earth as a, a training planet. You know, it's where you come to learn some lessons or burn off some karma, and then you get to go off to some other place where you truly belong. Those stories are increasingly dysfunctional because they remove our reverence from this planet and they remove humans from the web of life. Luckily, we've started to tell ourselves some new stories about who we are in the last couple centuries. And the new stories are telling us about how intertwined we are with all and everything. In physics, they talk about entanglement or a spooky action at a distance. And in biology, they're telling us that we are related to every being that's ever lived. We are all cell brothers. <coughs> cell sisters. 
Can you dig it? <laughs> and the story of evolution is everybody's biography. So we're telling some new stories about ourselves, and these new stories are based on science, so they must be true. <laughs> and I call, I call these new stories the latest, greatest stories ever told. I want to offer you a few of them tonight. And we'll start at the very beginning. As Carl Sagan once said, if you're going to make apple pie from scratch, first you have to make a universe. And in the beginning, the very beginning, the scientists say, there was nothing. And it was good. <laughs> Nothing can ever be wrong with nothing. In the beginning, there wasn't any space, so there's no place to put anything. <laughs> In the beginning, there wasn't any time. Nothing ever got done. Nobody cared. <laughs> and then, suddenly, there was a big bang. Now, some people said, wait a minute. If there had been nothing, what banged? <laughs> so they actually went back and reconfigured things and decided that in fact there there had been something a dot a singularity a point much smaller than an atom and the the scientists say it was infinitely dense and when the scientists say infinitely, they mean infinitely. <laughs> so it came to pass. This is a new creation myth. We want to get some pomp into it. <laughs> so it came to pass, say the scientists, that that dot exploded. It happened 13.7 billion years ago today. <laughs> happy birthday to you too why not you know that dot exploded and out of that explosion came the elementary forces and the elementary particles and they began mixing and moving and morphing and changing and creating everything we know of and can, can know of uh, mountains and forests and rivers and, and people and shoes and Zabutans and everything you can know of and name, and it all came out of the explosion of a tiny dot much smaller than an atom. Now, isn't that more feasible than the idea of a God who created everything in six days? <laughs> Take your pick. Which is more fantastic? What a strange, what a strange phenomena. Here's an image for you. A trillionth of a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang, the universe was six feet in diameter. Now that's a universe you can get your mind around. Huh? <laughs> Take it home, put it in the garage. The latest estimate is that <clears throat> the universe is 10 billion trillion cubic light years large. <clears throat> Approximately. 
And what's out there in all that space? Well, as I said the other night, the Kepler space probe is discovering millions of planets in our galaxy alone that very likely could support life. And it's starting to look like and very probable that there's life all over the universe. And as I said, this is really good news because it takes the pressure off of us. We no longer have to carry the entire meaning of the cosmos on our shoulders. If we find life in another galaxy, then we're going to have to become galaxy-identified. We'll no longer just be Earthlings, we'll be Milky Wayans. But this universe we're living in is really a trickster. For instance, the scientists say the universe is suffused with the gas helium. Does that mean my voice is actually an octave lower than it sounds to you? <laughs> Have any of us heard our true voices? We're all. <laughs> it's a trickster. And it looks like there's a lot of stuff here. But there's hardly any stuff here at all. Everything we perceive is made of atoms, and atoms are 99.999% <coughs> empty space. Maybe back in high school you remember a physics teacher said you take the nucleus of an atom and you blow it up millions of times till it's the size of a pea. The electron going around that nucleus will be the size of a grain of sand and it'll be half a mile away. There's hardly any matter to matter. So why aren't we just falling right through the floor, right through the earth? I don't know. It's a magic act. Something strange going on, huh? If your body's made of atoms and atoms are mostly empty space, what is holding your clothes on? <laughs> Not only does the emperor have no clothes, the clothes hardly have any emperor. <laughs> They're like optical illusions to each other. As they say in Zen, form is emptiness and emptiness is form. Of course, now... They've broken the atom down further. Did you steal my water? <laughs> been... No, I just opened it for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Where's my meat? <laughs> You've never been in on this. <laughs> recently, recently the scientists have, have broken the atom down much further in, into these little micro, micro particles, and now they've got it down to three particles: uh, quarks, leptons, and gluons. I'm not quite sure how it works, but I think the gluons hold the quarks and the leptons together. It's the way it sounds, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Who can know about these things? Uh, what about the Klingons? The cl there are Klingons and there are neutron neutrinos. 
the smallest pasta size. <laughs> and a whole bunch of neutrinos just went through your body. You may not have felt it, but... You're going to get an email on this. You think? <laughs> From who? We are recording, right? <laughs> anyway, quarks, leptons, gluons. I thought I was starting to understand matter a little bit. I, would, I would keep reading up about it. Can't quite fathom it or get a, get a picture of it. Uh, but then the scientists started talking about antimatter. They say the universe is filled with antimatter, and every time a particle of matter meets a particle of antimatter, they annihilate each other. I think the discovery of antimatter is proof that whoever or whatever created the universe in the first place was somewhat ambivalent. <laughs> you know, particle of matter, oh, it'll be so much trouble. Particle of antimatter. But the discovery of antimatter raises important questions for us humans, because now we not only have to ask, what's the matter? <laughs> we have to ask, what's the antimatter? And more importantly, does it antimatter? <laughs> Maybe all of our questions will be answered someday by the theory of everything. They keep looking for the theory that will unify all the other, you know, the little uh, uh, side trips and things that are unbelievable. The current version is the super, super string theory, which says that everything in the universe is composed of these minuscule vibrating strings of energy. And that that's basically all there is. And uh, the superstring theory also says that there are seven more dimensions to reality, which didn't unfold in our universe. Which is probably a good thing, because we can barely manage four dimensions, you know? <laughs> Height, width, depth, depth and, and time. If there were seven more dimensions, think how much harder it would be to find your car keys and <laughs> keep your weight down and... Uh, you know, <laughs> thinking about dimensions, it's really uh, ast astonishing that, to think that there might be other crevices in reality that we are not aware of. Maybe one of those dimensions is where birds go to die. You know, they, they have a little entrance and they go into that, that uh, dimension. Maybe one dimension is full of lost socks. <laughs> but what the scientists are discovering is uh, what mystics have known for centuries and that is that consciousness has a major role in the creation of our reality uh, the new Copenhagen not new anymore the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics says, and I quote, there is no reality in the absence of observation. There is no reality in the absence of observation. What, a, what a, an amazing statement. I would like us to try a little scientific experiment right here. Everybody look over to this side of the room. Everybody, everybody, please. Now that should mean the other side of the room has disappeared. 
Okay, let's check. <laughs> uh, either it reconstructed itself, or one of you was peeking. I don't know. <laughs> but it's likely, it's possible that there's really nothing here at all. As one physicist put it, uh, matter is just gravitationally trapped light. It's all just a light show. As the Buddha said, thus shall ye view the world, star at dawn, bubble in a stream, flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. So what's going to happen to this universe that we're living in, this faux universe? Well, the astrophysicists say that the universe is expanding outward and very rapidly in all directions, and they expect it to expand forever into nothingness. They call that a cold death, the really big chill. <laughs> However, if there's enough gravity in the universe, or perhaps enough gravitas, <laughs> the expansion will slow down and the universe will begin contracting in a process the scientists call the Big Crunch. Great name for a candy bar. And everything will come collapsing back down again into a sim singularity. And they call that a heat death. Which do you prefer? <laughs> Cold death, heat death. The universe is going to get you coming or going. <laughs> I like the idea that we all come back again into one singularity, a, a heat death, and then maybe there'll be another big bang and another universe will be created, one that's a little less uh, stressful and there's less friction. Uh, the Dalai Lama was once asked if they had the big bang in Tibetan Buddhist cosmology, and he said, mm, oh, yes, but bang, 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 many bangs, many universes. <laughs> The Hindu's deity, Brahma, every time he blinks his eyes shut, a universe is destroyed. And every time he opens his eyes, another universe is created. You can try it for yourself. It actually works. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are, big banging away in this space-time universe. And we are still big banging away every time... Every time you take a step, it's true. Every time you take a step or, uh, I don't know, make a gesture, move your hand, uh, you are using the energy generated by that primal explosion. Right now, inside your brain, millions of synapses are firing, we hope. <laughs> That's the energy of the Big Bang trying to comprehend the Big Bang. We're, we're pieces of the universe wondering about itself. So that's another uh, part of the story, the new story we're telling ourselves. And then there's this story about life on this planet. 
the story of evolution. I bet almost everybody in this room tonight believes in the story of evolution, believes it's true. But I don't think we really get it yet. The story is too new to have seeped into the marrow of our bones and the corridors of our psyche. I think maybe we need some uh, rituals and ceremonies around evolution and sing and dance evolution and come up with some practices that can teach us how to feel our way back into this story that we're part of. I suggest that we we start by chanting the table of basic elements. <laughs> Hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon. <laughs> it's, it's mantra quality. It's got that M, nom, nom, you know. We... We can reflect when we do our sitting meditation and watch the breath. Reflect occasionally that with every breath we exchange nutrients with the plant kingdom. With every breath we we take part in the great breathing of the planet. We went when uh, we did touched our hard parts and reminded ourselves that our bodies, our bones are are of the earth. We tasted the, we felt the uh, moisture in our mouth and the liquid nature of our flesh, honoring that we carry the ocean inside of us. These are all ways to feel ourselves as part of the life of this planet. We're not only on the earth. We're of the earth. We're earth sprouts that gained a lot of mobility. And we're built out of all the life that came before us. Uh, We talked about the three brains and how really we're not at fault for our Occasional misdemeanors and crimes. <laughs> You're definitely going to get some emails. <laughs> <laughs> that if we see ourselves in the story of evolution, we see that we are just a baby species. There were millions of generations of dinosaurs millions of generations of mammals before humans came along. We've had maybe 20, 30,000 generations of modern Homo sapiens. We just got these big brains. We're a baby species. We should not be tried as adults. <laughs> I think the great, a great spiritual message of the, the story of evolution is that you are not your fault. And if we see ourselves in this story of evolution, it's grand, it's grand. We see that uh, our, our family increases a million, million fold because we do see that we are related to every being that's ever lived through this miracle molecule of D. What is that? What is that? <laughs> what is it? 
Deoxyribonucleic acid, yes. DNA. Uh, it seems to be the substance that separates life from non-life. And it's made of four chemical compounds, and depending on how they're arranged in these long strings of coded information, the DNA will contribute to the growth of a giant sequoia or an ant or a rose human being. It's a magic substance, and deoxyribonucleic acid is much too dry and, uh, of a term. So I'm trying to create a new acronym. Every time you see or hear the letters DNA, think divine natural abundance. Divine natural abundance. And, uh, of course, we know that we share over 99% of our DNA with each other. The, the instructions for building and maintaining you are almost exactly the same as the instructions for building and maintaining me and the Dalai Lama and uh, uh, Mitch McConnell and uh, <laughs> Sean, Hannity. Sean Hannity. Now I'm definitely going to get emails. We share over 98%, as, as Grove mentioned, uh, of our DNA with the chimpanzees, nearly 90% with mice, uh, nearly 50% with uh, worms, and something like 30% with, are you ready? Yeast. <laughs> I mean, the Victorians were shocked to think that we were descended from monkeys to be told that we share that much of our DNA with yeast. <laughs> so if we declare ourselves divine, is not the slime also divine? Who gets a soul? Snails, mushrooms, slime? See, the story of evolution doesn't deny our divinity, it just denies our exclusive divinity. There was a t-shirt put out by the University of California uh, um, Biology Department, Santa Cruz. It said, you share 25% of your DNA with bananas. <laughs> Get over yourself. <laughs> the case, of course, could be made that the world was created for bacteria. Would you, are you thirsty? <laughs> <laughs> The world was created for bacteria, maybe. The first living being, one single-celled bacterium, appeared on Earth 3.7 billion years ago, today. We should have a uh, holiday, don't you think? <laughs> Just one single-celled being must have been pretty lonely. I've given this being a name, Una. Did I talk about this before? Yeah, our little. I did. Oh, okay. Because I haven't heard this. I've never heard 
No, okay. Anyway, I gave, I gave. I've heard. You've heard Una before? Una Chapman. Anyway, uh, I'll send you an email. <laughs> anyway, the, the bacteria uh, survived all the catastrophes and thrived, and until now, they are everywhere. Um, what is the, the percentage of your body that is other, uh, the weight of other beings? Something like 90%. Uh, as the great molecular biologist Lynn Margulis says, we are, our concept of the individual is purely arbitrary. Each of us is a walking ecosystem. It could be that the, the success of the bacteria is due to the fact that they reproduce by just dividing. They don't have to take each other out to dinner first. <laughs> <laughs> Little bacterium just pulls the, its DNA into two places and then splits and, you know, have a nice day, have a nice day. <laughs> it doubles your chances for a happy life. <laughs> But we are a new kind of animal, and I hope you're not offended by being called an animal. It is the way our eminent scientists classify us. I know some of you are in denial. You know, you go to a supermarket or a restaurant, and there's a sign in the window, no animals allowed. Humans walk right, right in. <laughs> no animals here. <laughs> I think we should be proud to be part of this great family of beautifully arrayed creatures. But we are a new kind of animal. Our ancestors came down from the trees just about five, six million years ago. Among them was an ape woman named Lucy by the scientists, the mother of us all. So we can assume that the father of us all was Ricky. <laughs> Nobody ever mentions him, you know? <laughs> anyway, st we started standing around, we started living on the ground uh, more and started using crude stone tools, became what is now known as Homo habilis, or handyman. <laughs> so you'll, you know he wasn't yet Jewish. Um, <laughs> handyman started standing up more often. <laughs> Can I go through with this, really? Yes, you can. Okay. Go. Go. <laughs> We're cheering you on. You can okay. do it. Okay. Um, and uh, we started standing up more often. It eventually became known as Homo erectus or upright human. And we're not talking about morality here. In fact, soon after we stood upright, the loincloth was invented for obvious reasons. <laughs> but uh, standing up was closely associated with a rapid increase in brain size. Now, you'd think that standing up would cause our feet to swell instead, but this is the theory. Standing up left our hands free to work with tools, and we needed more sophisticated brain connections to control the more uh, delicate 
a movement of our hands and fingers. So this feedback loop was created. Bigger brains, better hands, better hands, bigger brains. Also, standing up left our arms free to carry our stuff around. And we did. Uh, we, uh, we started uh, migrating out of Africa. Nobody still knows exactly why we left, but I suspect it was to look for Chinese food. <laughs> At the time, our, our brains were only half the size they are today. <laughs> or else we would have figured out how to send out for Chinese food. <laughs> Anyway, we started wandering. <laughs> we started wandering uh, around the planet and uh, got caught in an ice age or two, and brains had to grow bigger brains. Uh, it would have been probably a little easier just to grow a heavier coat of fur, but we didn't think of it at the time because our brains were too small. But So then we grew bigger brains, and... Uh, learned how to make fire, and then began sitting around that fire and telling stories about ourselves like this story that we're talking about tonight, the story of evolution. At some point in our wanderings and uh, in our uh, development, our brain outgrew our heads, and we had to get a new skull, rounded and dome-shaped here in front. Uh, probably none of you are old enough to remember the old slopehead model. <laughs> You might have some relatives still with that. Uh, uh, but we got the new rounded dome-shaped uh, skull uh, to grow the neocortex, high-speed, fully loaded, raring to go. Uh, about 40,000 years ago, our immediate ancestors appear, the Cro-Magnon people, and they began having elaborate burial rituals and making masks and jewelry, obviously having begun uh, asking the important questions, the big questions like, you know, who are we and what are we doing here and is there an afterlife and if not, let's invent one. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, I think the Cro-Magnon people were the first to display a sense of humor which they got by watching Neanderthals work with tools. <laughs> you know, they just, they never could figure out how to use the pliers. They just... <laughs> 10,000 years ago, 12,000 years ago, our great-grandparents begin living in cities, cultivating agriculture. The last 10 thousand years, there's been a complete revolution in the life of this planet due to the behavior of our species. And now we can fly off the planet, we can see to the edge of the universe, we can see deep inside of matter, we know how things happen in nature, biology, chemistry, <coughs> physics. In just the last couple hundred years, we've nearly doubled the average lifespan, so now you get twice as long to be yourself. Just a few generations ago, most of our ancestors were peasants. And now, most of us are called upon to operate fairly sophisticated machinery, uh, uh, explore many volumes of information, absorb many volumes of information. 
it's a whole new world out there. And, and considering that, maybe we're doing a pretty good job of being human. The evolutionary psychologists say we're working with brains designed for members of small tribes of hunter-gatherers. That would explain our addiction to shopping. You know, if it's out there, you go get it. <laughs> but uh, we are an amazing species. And we now know that, uh, you know, less than 100 years ago, we knew of one galaxy. We now know that there are millions of galaxies, and I read 30 to 50 million billion suns and we've come to understand that and know about that it's remarkable and we now know that life has gone from a single celled being to a being with a hundred trillion cells and inside each of your hundred trillion cells is a strip of information the whole history of life is stitched into inside of you What a wondrous, what a walking, talking, wondrous marvel we are. The great scientist E.O. Wilson says, to imagine a human being being created through random chance in the universe is like imagining a hurricane blowing through a junkyard and creating a 747. And if we see ourselves, we see this story of evolution. We also see we can find hope because life is tough and has survived continents crashing into each other and meteors crashing into us and plagues and Henry Kissinger. <laughs> we're tough. We're, we're, and I think life will, will even survive us. And sometimes when I get discouraged, I try to remember. It's taken the universe 13.7 billion years to make me. There's a cause for some self-esteem, you know? <laughs> what a project. <laughs> so, luckily we're starting to tell ourselves these new stories. And uh, hopefully we will enjoy our lives and fill in even more details and maybe heal the planet. And I'll just say to end this, this line that I've always said at the end of my radio newscasts, if you don't like the news, go out and make some of your own. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.